0: If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321. Give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast.
1: I love the framework that Hebrews 11 sets up for us in this conversation. It says, now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. See, Hebrews 11 invites us first into this new framework of how we view life and how we view ourselves and how we view one another, that what we cannot see is actually more real than what we can touch and feel and engage in the world around us. That we are always, always materializing the visible world from the invisible reality that lives inside of us, but that already has been declared or lives around us. And we do this all the time. This is not something that that is like woo-woo, I promise you. See, we do this. You worry, and then you withdraw yourself, and then you miss out on all the opportunities that are out there, yes? That's materializing the invisible in this. We love, we open our hearts, and relationships expand around us. We, We find ourselves dreaming, we create, and then opportunities are open to us. This is not something foreign to us. This is something that happens. But what this is is an opportunity to put our faith into something new. See, because what we put our faith in determines the future that is available for you to create. It determines the future that's available for you to craft. And here's the thing. When we don't recognize this, we are stuck shuffling what we can see. That's oftentimes where we go. And so, have you ever found yourself thinking, if I just got a new career, if I was just able to travel more, if I just lost the 10 pounds, if I just got a new wardrobe, if I just got new friends, if I just moved, whatever it may be, then I would have fill in the blank. You ever thought that before? Let's just be honest, right? I know we all have. We find ourselves there. And how many of you have ever been uh, unlucky enough to actually get what you wanted and then realized... It was nothing that you needed. You got the thing, and you're wondering, why am I not happy? I I achieved this. Why am I not fulfilled? I moved. I got the wardrobe. I lost the weight. I got the friends. And I still have this emptiness that lives inside of me. See, the invitation that Jesus calls us into is to put our faith in him. To take all of the invisible manifesting that we do with worry and with doubt and anxiety and fear and hopelessness or, or our own striving and our own proving and it says, put it in him because here's the thing. When you put your faith in him, what he says is, is that I'm actually going to set you free from the bounds of just the visible. You're not going to be stuck just shuffling the furniture around. You actually get to create a brand new future that will open up what your soul is longing for, what your soul is hoping for, what the reality that lives inside of you to to presence that here and now, and then we get to actually live beyond what we can taste, touch, see, feel. It moves us into a whole new dimension with this. It actually gives us eyes to see the unseen so that we can navigate through this life with influence and accuracy. And we can live with a sense of peace about where we're at. And so we're gonna start today on the stories of these individuals, these heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews 11, starting in verse four, it says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was condemned as righteous. When God, by faith, he was uh, commended, commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings and by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Now, look, I know we're going in chronological order of stories here, but this seems like a stupid starting point to me, right? I mean, of all the stories of faith that you could start out with, why not start out with Moses, right, speaking truth to Pharaoh? Why not start out with Abraham who births the nation? Why not start out with Joshua and the battle of Jericho? We start out with Abel bringing his offering. It seems like a silly place to start here. But this is what happens in Genesis chapter 2, chapter 4, starting in verse 2, this conversation around Abel's offering as compared to his brother Cain. It says later, she, Eve, gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor favor on Abel and his offering, but Cain on his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. You ever find it hard to know what God's going to accept? Like he seems a little picky, doesn't he? He seems a little picky in terms of what he's up to, what he's not up to. I, I mean, I, I, like, sometimes I'm like, what prayers do you want, God? What lifestyle do you want from me? What music do you want me to listen to? What practices I'm supposed to get in? And it's kind of a crapshoot to figure out which one are you going to accept and which one are you not going to accept. So here's the thing. Cain brings God an offering. And from my perspective, Cain's offering took a little more work. I don't know if you've ever gardened before, it is not an easy task. It's not a fun task in the middle of it either. I mean, I remember one time we decided that we were gonna grow carrots in the backyard and we put a lot of money and effort into those carrots. I'm telling you, we spent about $50 for 50 cents worth of carrots and we tended to them and we grew them and we fertilized them and we plucked them out we weeded and all the things and by the end of the season we pulled them out and i'm like well i'm gonna show off my carrots and we got they weren't even baby carrots these were like fetus carrots right i'm like what happened here but cain does all the hard work of gardening and brings his offering to the lord abel just slaughters a goat here's some fat portions right what is the difference between these two see I find that Cain had a harder time with this and Abel had an easier time with the offering, so what makes the difference? Have you ever noticed it's possible for two people to do the exact same thing, but to do it for radically different reasons and it becomes radically different from one another? See, I I can serve someone with the intention of compassion and I can support someone with the intention of care and we call that service, I can also care for someone and support someone out of what I'm going to get from it and what it's going to bring to me and the capital that I know I can cash in on later, and we call that manipulation. Very different things, but the exact same action that we engage in in this space. And this is what's happening here with Cain and with Abel as they bring their offerings. See, what religion communicates to us is that it is never enough for God. That's what religion constantly communicates to us, that what you have to bring is not enough. And so it puts us in this mindset, in this space where we are desperately attempting to appease God somehow that God's angry, he's frustrated, he's bitter, he's resentful, he's picky, and so now I have to figure out how to appease this angry God up there and make him love me in some space, and so we find ourselves thinking, well, if I do more, if I achieve more, if I do better, if I engage at a larger level, then somehow God now will accept me, and I have this conversation all the time when I'm in conversation with people who are followers of Jesus, and we talk about what's not working in their life, and we start pinpointing down what's not working and inevitably all of these, well, I should be doing this and I ought to be doing this and I need to be doing this start coming up and it's from a space of shame needing to appease God, needing to make him happy or needing to make him look at us in a certain way based on what we do. See, in this moment of offering, Cain actually ushered religion into the human story. This is actually the first moment that religion shows up in the human experience, and what Cain says in this moment is, I'm bringing you the best, so you should accept me for what I bring to you. I'm bringing you the best of my offering, and this should be enough, and this is what you should look at to inform you to love me more, to give me more, to do more for me, because I've brought you my best. And then he grows angry with God, because God actually says, I'm not interested in what you can bring me. I'm not actually all that uh, impressed by that. See, what God is actually interested in is the attitude behind the giving, the condition of the heart that comes to God with this. See, Abel says that he brought this humble offering of also his best to God, but he brings it to God in faith. He's not saying, look at what I've done for you. Now you should love me. Now we have this transactional relationship with one another. What he says in this moment, he says, look, this is not about what I bring to you. This is about who you are. And so, God, it's about that that you accept me. It actually has very little to do with my offering that you accept me. So I come to you still with my best, but it's all about my trust in who you are and what you've done, and I can just rest in that reality of who God is. See, the story continues in Genesis chapter four, starting in verse six. It says, when the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. See, what God is not telling to Cain, God's not saying, Cain, give me more. He's actually saying there's an attitude conversation that needs to happen here. See, we are actually, as human beings, quite dysfunctional when it comes to our relationship with allowing love to influence us. I remember when Marla first moved to the States when we were dating, and we had our first birthday, my first birthday. And I remember waking up to this birthday and going outside, and the entire apartment complex that I was living in had been decorated I mean, I'm telling you, there were like streamers going down the trees, there were chalk art going all the way down the walkways to my car, there were balloons lining the pathway that I would go, and I I was instantly like, this is ridiculous, right? I had a a bike that I had locked down in front of my apartment, inside the basket on the bike, it was filled with gifts, like software and books and all kinds of stuff, and I am like, this is way too much, right? And then I find out that she has planned a party that evening, and it was like a full catered party. Like like dinner, and remember back in the day when cupcakes were a thing and we paid $6 for a cupcake? Remember when we were crazy? Uh, and, and she had catered like from the favorite cupcake place, having like 30, 40 cupcakes from the $6 cupcake place. And then we have the party and everyone's lavishing gifts on me. And then Marla brings me this gift that she gave me. And I'm thinking, okay, another gift on top of all the other gifts. And I open it up and it was an iPad. And this is back in the day when no one had iPads. Like you were wealthy and famous and rich if you had an iPad, right? And I remember opening up this iPad after having the catered dinner with the cupcakes and all the decorations and the gifts that were already lavished on me in the beginning. And I had this moment of horror because in my head, I thought to myself, there's no way that I can pay her back for this. I thought, I can't do this. I don't have enough money to do this for her. There's no way to make up for this. I could not do for her what she had done for me, that she was pouring out, too much on me, that she had given me too much in that moment, and I actually thought to myself, well, will she still love me if I cannot impress her with what I can give her? Will she still accept me if I can't give back in equal amount or equal quantity what she has provided for me in this moment? And see, here's the thing. We often start viewing love as a transactional experience, between two people, and then we use it as a tool to extort influence with other people. So if I love you in a certain way, if I give you something, then I can later on come back and get what I need from you. Or if I create an environment where I provide for you, you better provide for me. Or if I do this for you, then of course you're going to do this for me, right? Right? We find ourselves in a transactional relationship with one another and then we find ourselves doing that same thing back to God and assume that that's what he's doing back to us. That his love actually has all kinds of conditions and stipulations and transactions required with it. And we think that if I do enough, if I earn enough, if I'm good enough, if I'm better, then I will finally have the influence I long for and God will finally accept me and I'll finally have the future and it's all in my control. And I can have it all at the same time. See, the problem is this, is that God is just not that interested in your performance. He's actually not all that impressed by your performance. And I know for many of you in the room, that is very bad news. I know it is for me often, that it's very bad news because it's easier to perform our way through relationships, isn't it? It's easier to just find ourselves saying, well, if I do this, you should do this, and it should be like a math equation. If I engage this way, you should respond back this way, and then we should have this type of relationship. If I do 10 good things for you, you should at least do 10 good things for me, and then we call that even in the middle of this. See, but what God's actually interested in is us coming to him in faith because of who he is. That his love without condition is enough for us, period. That he's not interested in having us perform, achieve, do better, be better, look better in the middle of all of this. And that moves us towards intimacy with him. And the one thing that is needed for intimacy is trust. See, trust moved towards God is what we call faith. That when we exhort trust towards God, we call this this thing called faith in Hebrews chapter 11. See, what God is interested in doing is just influencing our life through love, that love would be the capital in which he influences us, which involves both intimacy with him and trust in him. And he invites us to respond in faith the same way him. See, the faith is that it's not my performance. It's just resting in who he is. And when we live in that reality and express back to him the same level of trust and intimacy that he is calling us into, we call that worship. When we live a life informed by trust and intimacy, connect with him and our lives become an offering with him. Here's the rub, here's the rub where this becomes problematic is that there's nothing to do in worship. Have you noticed that? That there's no like, how can I get God's attention or how can I get him to do more for me or how can I get him to bless me in a bigger way? There's just resting in it. I don't know about you, but for so many of us, that is such a hard reality to live in. We don't like that, do we? we? We don't like the reality that all God asks us to do is just rest in faith of who he is and that his love is sufficient for us. See, we, we get frustrated with this, but let's be honest. How many of us are tired of the proving? How many of us are just tired of the striving to have whatever it is that we're pursuing so that we can finally be good enough, or that we can finally have the significance, or that we can finally have the life that we long for. See, Abel just existed in God's love by faith, and from that space brings him the best. But Cain Cain attempted to buy God's love in this moment. By the way, this is why our Sunday morning experiences are so critical. I know there's like a common conversation around like, is Sunday morning necessary anymore? Is it worth it? Should it be done away with? Is this just like an irrelevant conversation? But here's what I find, is that if you can't do that here, you're certainly not gonna be able to do that elsewhere. If you can't just come into a space like this and just take a deep breath and rest in God's love, I guarantee you, you're not gonna be able to do this at home. I guarantee you're not gonna be able to do it at work. I guarantee you, you will not be able to do it at school. You won't be able to do it in your community with your friends and this is actually, by the way, one of the reasons why we've changed up the format just a bit here over the last few months because here's the thing, sitting for 90 minutes and staring at someone's head in front of you does not require intimacy or trust. And isn't it crazy that we think we can come into a space where God's like, what I long for you and what I long for other people is intimacy with you and trust from you. And I long for you to have that one another. And we come into a format where we stare at the back of someone's head and we assume that that's going to be worship. We assume that that's going to be intimate. We assume that that's going to be trust with one another. And I know for some of us, we resist that. We don't want to talk to someone. We just want to sit and stare at the back of someone's head. We don't want to engage. I don't want my life messed with. I want to come and just listen and walk away. And what God is saying is, look, I'm actually interested in influencing you in a way that will blow your mind. But it requires you getting out of this transactional space of control and needing to have it a certain way. This is a space where we fully rest in God's love together, And one another. See, one of the signs that you're resting in God's love is that you're secure enough to have a conversation with another person about what's going on at a heart level. Because now, the conversation with another person is not a threat, it's an invitation. Now the conversation with another is not an interruption, it's a added-on bonus in this. See, if we're gonna take this moment of Cain and Abel to a practical space, this is actually a moment of generosity. See, even our giving is an expression of resting in God and trusting in intimacy that he has enough. You know what's crazy is that in these moments of giving, this is what we do. This is what I love about giving, and this is why it's such a high value in here, is we take something that's tangible like money, right? I take this piece of paper that exists in my wallet, in my pocket, and when I live in a space of generosity and I give it back to what God's up to, this physical reality actually gets translated into an invisible future. That I actually take something as insignificant as financial resources and then I translate it into a future for someone else. That I can tell you story after story after story of life transformation that happened because someone decided that they were going to take something material and translate it to the invisible and create a communal space where people's lives are forever transformed. And it's a moment when we give that we ask God this, do I have the faith that one, God has already provided? See, I know, look, it would be very easy for me to come in here and say, if you give, God's going to give you a Mercedes. It would actually be much more sexy if we did that, right? And it, would be, it would be way more enticing to say, give and you're going to get a raise. We're going to just believe for those promotions this year. But you know what's less enticing but actually more true is the miracle happens when we recognize that we've already been provided for yeah. Yeah. and that we have more than enough. Yeah. And then as we give, it's an expression of trust saying, God, I trust that you will continue to provide. I trust that you will continue to step in that. And we ask ourselves, can I rest in that without worry? Am I willing to enter a relationship with God and my resources that recognizes him as the source that I can trust and just rest in that? See, many of us would rather tip God and spend more money each month in our budget on coffee and streaming services to prove that our life is significant rather than just resting in the fact that we have already been made significant because of the cross, And from that, we generously give resources back because we have already been called significant. We don't have to make it up with our resources. And there's a beauty and a resting in that. See, one is a life filled of striving for God's influence. And the other is a life resting in the influence of God that he has already given us. And I I love this last line about Abel. I love this last line. It says, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Pirates of the Caribbean got it wrong. Dead men do tell tales, right? (laughs) I love this moment because, because here's the thing. What this says is that Abel, like the second generation of humanity, is still speaking to us today in 2023, that the way that he engaged his life by faith still speaks to us here, September 2023. And what Abel is echoing into our future right now from his moment of investing his life is he's echoing into our hearts saying, hey, you can stop striving to prove how awesome you are. You can let go of all that energy trying to figure out how to live a significant life by what you do, and you don't have to spend another drop of energy attempting to appease God, that you can just release that. And Abel's offering was counted as righteous, not because of what he did, because of his faith in the heart and character of who God is. And he was able to rest in that. I think this is also why Abel and Enoch in Hebrews are connected to one another. Because if you continue the conversation in Hebrews, it says this, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, have you ever had um, like a conversation with someone about how you wanna die? I know that's a little morbid, but I think about that sometimes. And there's like levels of, of, of like horrifying deaths, right? Like most people are like, I don't wanna drown and I don't wanna be burned in a fire, right? Those would be like, you know, and usually like most people are like, I'd love to just fall asleep and not wake up, right? You know, that's like another conversation around how we like to die and that. But honestly, when I look at this, I'm like, just be taken away. That would be awesome, wouldn't it be? Like one day you're there and then you're gone. <laughs> and Genesis, it, it describes this reality with Enoch here. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. They lived a long time back then. Enoch walked faithfully with God and there was, and he was no more because God took him away. Now, here's, here's the crazy thing about Enoch. He's known for being taken away by God, right? Like he walked with God and then he was taken away. But here's all that we know about Enoch. Two things. He had kids and he walked with God. It's all we know. There's no impressive story about Enoch. There's no like, man, Enoch accomplished amazing things for God and God was so impressed that he beamed him up into heaven. There wasn't a moment where Enoch lived this courageous, heroic, over-the-top life, and God was so blessed by him that he said, you know what, I need you up here. The only thing we know about Enoch was that he had kids, and he walked with God. Now, that disturbs me a little bit. I don't like that. I mean, Moses would make sense that he would like, be beamed up, or Abraham would make sense that he'd he Heck, even Ruth or Rahab, beam him up, right? But Enoch... He does nothing. And here's the beautiful thing, is that we often think of ourselves as being influenced by God. And even if you're an atheist or someone who's not yet connected with God, I think the idea of being influenced by a God, even if he existed, would be appealing to most of us. That that for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we, we long that he would influence us. But what I love that we know about Enoch is that Enoch influenced God. That it said that Enoch walked with him and he pleased God. That Enoch actually brought God pleasure. That he created an experience with and for God in his walking with God. It wasn't anything else. That he actually influenced God just by the simple fact of walking with God. And so what we know from the life of Enoch is that walking with God is actually the pathway to pleasure towards enjoyment. See, not just for us, but also for God. That when we walk with him, we actually influence God in a way that he goes, oh man, I now am experiencing pleasure from you as you're walking with me and talking with me. So much so that God was like, man, I love our walks and I love our conversations so much that let's just keep going straight into heaven. And he was no more. See, I don't know about about you, but when I think about God, my first image of him is a Stoic, right? In fact, I always have this problem with paintings of Jesus and like images of Jesus because he's often, most times Jesus is just like, you know, and occasionally he'll have like a sheep and he. He doesn't look like a very fun dude to hang out with, right? You're like, okay, like, I'm sure he has a lot of wisdom. I'm sure he has a lot of like, interesting things to say. I will even like worship him. But I don't actually think we think of God as, uh, as a pleasure-experiencing person, right? Like, we have a much more uh, like, proclivity to think of God as a stoic than we do as a God who longs for pleasure. But here's the thing is that if we were created to enjoy and to experience pleasure, which I'm going to ask you to consider that we were, that if that's the case, then that was God's idea, not ours. See, if you look at the universe around us, God actually designed a universe for us to experience pleasure. Otherwise, there wouldn't be like multiple kinds of food. There would just be like brown mush that we ate, right? Or maybe we wouldn't even need to eat because we wouldn't need to have the sensations in our mouth where we go, oh, this is delicious. We wouldn't need sunsets. What's the point of that if we're not made to enjoy? We wouldn't need beautiful moments with family together. We wouldn't need images of the stars and the moons that, that, that light us up. We wouldn't need moments with one another that bring us deep, deep pleasure. We could just exist. In fact, we wouldn't need any of our five senses. We could just go, th- through this life, but it seems like all of this was God's idea, that he would set up a universe for pleasure for us, so it would make sense that he, in turn, actually longs to experience pleasure as well with us, and if that's the case, that God designed this universe designed for pleasure, it would make sense that our ultimate pleasure would be found in the God who invented pleasure That our ultimate pleasure would be found in our connection with him. See, I think that most of us think that God experiences, God longs for our obedience over him pleasing us. Now, I'm not gonna pit those against one another, but I think that we oftentimes think what God actually longs for is just obedience. And I'm gonna actually ask you to consider that the end game that God's actually up for is pleasure. See, if worship, which includes obedience, Like Tim said earlier, if worship includes us following him and obeying him and engaging in his commands, that this worship is the pathway to intimacy, like we saw with Abel, then pleasure is the result of worship. That pleasure is the result of us intimately walking with God and obedience is the pathway to pleasure, that as we obey God, as we walk with him, as we follow him, not only do we experience pleasure, but we influence God so that he experiences pleasure from us as well. See, some of you in this room, because I've had conversations with you, you may be thinking, I'm pursuing pleasure too much, and I need to tone it down a bit. Like like there's all kinds of areas in my life that are dysfunctional and what I actually need is to tone down a pleasure a bit. See, the problem is not that you've been pursuing too much pleasure. The problem is that you've been pursuing cheap pleasure. So you've thought to yourself, if I have more money, then I'll have pleasure. If I get the career that I long for and I'm significant, then I'll have pleasure. If I get recognition, then I'll have pleasure. If I binge watch enough TikTok, then I'll have pleasure. If I find myself having the next drink, if I have myself engaging the perfect family, if I find myself living it out, then I will have this life of pleasure. See, it's not that you have pursued pleasure too far, it's that you have not pursued it far enough. And you have settled. That type of pleasure, that's weak sauce. See, what God calls us into is an invitation to come walk with the creator of the universe who designed pleasure at the highest level. And he says, actually, let's go deeper. See, some of you, it's not that you need to stop pursuing pleasure. It's that you need to pursue it deeper. And when you do that, you will run straight into the God who designed you for pleasure but that pleasure will only be found in walking with him. See the invitation of Jesus is to come and walk intimately with God and experience a pleasure beyond what you could believe or experience here and now and in the process we please God. We bring him pleasure in the middle of this. Because here's what, here's actually this is not mine. This is not my word. This is what it says. It says that the end game of faith is the pleasure of God. See because it says There's two points to this faith equation. If there was an equation, this is what it says. It says, believe that God exists. That's one, right? Straight from Hebrews here. And two, he rewards those that earnestly seek him. That seems like the equation there. That we believe God exists, and as we pursue him, he rewards us. But here's the thing. We have to seek him, not the reward. Ever found that? It's really hard to do, right? It's really hard to separate the two of them at times. <laughs> because sometimes we come to God like an ATM or a Santa Claus, and we're like, I will pursue you as long as you fix all this stuff in my life and do this and give me the money that I need and make sure that this problem's taken care of. And God's just like, no, no, no. What I'm act- I just want you to pursue me. Just seek me. Just walk with me. That's all I want you to do. I don't, I want, I, I, like all that stuff, we'll take care of it. But I want you just to pursue me. And then he will reward you for pursuing him in the middle of the sea. Here's the thing. I am not under the um, uh, delusion that my dogs in the morning when I wake up and they are begging me for a treat, which they do every single morning, I am not under the delusion that they are grateful to me I am not under the delusion that in that moment, they're like, I'm so glad I have an owner. And look at this intimacy that we're creating. And look at how connected we are. And thank you for the 14 years of spending thousands of dollars on my life. (laughs) I am not under the delusion that that's taking place. The only thing I recognize in that moment, they just want the treat. That's all they want. See, and this is what separates us from the animal kingdom. Is that what God says is, look, I know you want the treat. I know you want the reward. I know you want the thing. I know you want the pleasure. But if you would just be willing to seek me, the rewarder, then you will find yourself having all of these other things added to you. See, coming to God for what you can get will actually leave you empty. And actually, in our modern Christian context, I find so many Christians are just so obsessed with getting heaven. Like, one day I'll get to heaven, and that's what I want. And God's like, there's a whole, there, what? There's like a whole thing for you right here and now. Like there's a whole purpose for you. There's a whole like ministry for your life. There's a whole engagement that I long for you here and now. Look, if, you, if you're here and you're just like, I'm waiting for heaven. That's the equivalent of a dog saying, I want the treat. Not saying, I want you right now and here. And I want the fullness of what's available right here and right now. Some of us come to God and we're like, give me success if you just give me success, I will love you and I will follow you. Just heal me, just heal me and then I will love you and I will follow you. Just give me the freedom that I'm longing for and then I will totally serve you and God's just like, would you just seek me? Would you just walk with me? That's all I want. See, I love that in Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13, it says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and then I will listen to you and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. See, there's a promise that when we seek him, we will find him. And then it says that if we seek him, God will reward us in the middle of the sea. There's a relationship between seeking God and seeing your life open. There's this relationship between pursuing and walking with God and seeing possibilities unlocked inside of your life for where you're headed. And it's all throughout the scriptures. He says, seek and you will find He says, pursue the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. He says, give and see if I don't pour out on you. See, he's interested in you seeking and pursuing him and then all the things that you're worried about, that you're concerned about, he's like, I will take care of all of those. But there is this connection between living with the creator of the universe and walking with him and everything else being unlocked and that's it. See, when God becomes the desire of your soul, when the creator of the universe becomes the desire of your soul, something shifts within you and it unlocks the possibilities for life. See, God loves you, period. That's the end of the story. And you cannot cause God to do more for you, but you can cause God to do less and it has to do with your willingness to walk alongside of him. See, if you're going to be an influencer in this life, that arena that you came in today with, that you were like, this is the impossible arena, that I don't know if God can show up, but I'm gonna trust him for this, I'm gonna believe him for this, I'm gonna step in faith that he's gonna move in this area. If you're like one of those people that you're like, I wanna make my life count, I want want my life to have a mark on here. I want to own my impact here and now. Then like Abel and Enoch, it starts with recognizing that it doesn't start with anything that you do. It starts with an overflow that comes with walking with God, simply existing with him. And from that, I guarantee you, everything else will be added unto you. You will not have to worry about it. You just need to keep on walking and to keep offering your faith to the God who longs to expand your life and the God who longs to give you your influence and the the God who longs for you to experience deep pleasure. See, let me just tell you this, and I can tell you this from experience and hundreds of conversations that I have with people on a regular basis, that the people around us, our community, the people that we do work with, that we live with, the people that we live next to, people are exhausted from trying to prove their worth. People are burned out and drained and anxious and depressed because their energy goes into proving that they are lovable and worthy and valuable and significant. And people are dying to find a way out, to find something new. And it doesn't work. So now, on top of all of the exhaustion from striving and proving, we have this identity crisis in our culture of people not knowing who they are because they've, they've strived and they've given and they've exhausted themselves and they've depleted themselves and they, it hasn't worked. And so now they're asking the question, who am I? If it doesn't work, who am I? See, here's the beautiful thing. Like Abel, your life will speak so loudly to a world that is striving and lost when you can say, hey, it is just about walking with God and resting with him and nothing else. You can stop striving. You can stop trying to prove. You can stop trying to muster up your significance in this. No striving, no proving, no catching up because you are at rest, worshiping the God of the universe who loves you, period. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this conversation. And I thank you that you invite us into a relationship with you that is not transactional, that is not reliance on what we can do or bring or muster up or create, but that it is just resting in who you are and coming to you in faith that that is enough, period. And this morning, if you're here, and you've recognized that you have been attempting to make up something in your life to get God's attention, to appease him. Maybe you've recognized, oh, I've been striving, trying to be good enough for God or trying to do enough for God or trying to get it right or trying to keep thing in control and it just hasn't been working and maybe you're exhausted this morning. Maybe you're so anxious because you don't know if the next slip up is going to mean that God blesses you or curses you. And today is an invitation to just let that go. That might look up that, you know, some of you may be in a space of despair because you look at what is happening in your life and you assume that God has cursed you. Maybe you're looking out and going, man, God isn't who he says he is. I clearly have pissed him off or whatever it may be. And now my life's a mess. Look, that's just the flip side of this same, this same conversation. That somehow you could do something or not do something to cause God to curse you in this life. And either way, God is just longing for you to come back to him and just saying, would you just rest? Would you stop striving? Would you stop proving If that's you and you're you're like, man, I recognize the exhaustion around that, would you just put your hand up and just no eyes looking around? Yeah, all over the room. People just like, yeah, I get it. So I want to pray for you. And in this moment, I'm just going to ask you to release whatever is there. Release it into him, that he's covered it. Jesus, I thank you that the cross is enough. I thank you that you have called us loved and valuable and worthy and chosen not because of anything that we've done or not done or achieved or not achieved or brought to you or not brought to you, but because of who you are and who you have declared us to be. Would you give us the faith to step into that way of living with one another? Would you give us the trust and the intimacy with you to just rest in that reality? I pray for peace. I pray that we would recognize that your burden is light that your yoke on us your the what you call us to do is easy. We thank you for that. Now this week as we step into this space together of continuing to pursue the impossible. I have one request of you this week. If this is a boot camp here are your instructions for this week with whatever that arena is, here's what I would like for you to do. I want you to spend time just resting in God this week. I know for some of you type A people, there's a lot of like, yeah, but what about all the things I'm supposed to do? I'm gonna ask you to set those aside for seven days, right? Next Sunday, you can pick all that back up and keep doing it. But for one week, if for one week you would just say, this week, I am just gonna focus on walking with God and spending time with him and engaging him, I guarantee you that all these other things will be added onto you. That you can lay down the striving, you can lay down the proving, you can lay down the attempts to make sure that your life is significant and just walk with him. Now look, here's what I know to be true about human beings is that we will find the time, energy, and resources for whatever is valuable for us, I promise. I guarantee you. This is why people are always like I'm busy but I just binge watched seven episodes of whatever, right? Because we find time and energy and resources to do whatever's valuable to us. So this week, You may have to rework your schedule. You may have to carve some time out. You may have to even just in the everyday moments at work, at school, at play with your family, just rest in walking with God and trust like Abel that that's enough and trust like Enoch that that's enough. And God's like, that's cool enough. In fact, it's so cool that I'd love to just beam you up with me because I find so much pleasure in you simply walking with me. So that is the call on us this week as we step into our life as influencers to walk with God and to trust in faith that that's enough. Amen, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.